0: All of our scripture for this message is taken from the book of Genesis. First is Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. The second part of our scripture is from chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and then verses 23 and 24. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, He stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. The last portion of scripture is Genesis 4 verses 1 through 6 and then verse 12. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? When you cultivate the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you you shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth.
1: I'm in the middle of a series called Outside Eden. What went wrong with the purposes that God laid down for us in Eden? This is prelude to the next series uh, where we understand how these purposes are completed in Jesus Christ. But right now, we're at the depressing part. So if you get a little uh, depressed this morning, that is as it should be. We aren't in paradise anymore, and guess what? Paradise is not right around the corner. Let me take you back to the second chapter and show you what happened with the provision God gave to us in limits, with the purpose that he had for limits. In the second chapter, in the... 16th and 17th verses, it says this, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but there's the limit. From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat eat from it you shall surely die. Within limits, God gave us all the provision, all the protection, all the paradise we would ever need. We had a problem then, even as we have a problem now, in not wanting to stay within those limits. And so we trespassed beyond those limits. And the rest of Scripture tells us of life in exile. In the very day that Adam and Eve transgressed those limits, they learned that death was not, listen to this, Death was not at first extinction. Death was at first distance. Distance is the form of death that comes before extinction. Let me show you in the last verses of the third chapter, starting with verse 22. Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now lest he stretch out his hand... And take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. And you can put in there parenthetically, in his present state of sin. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. And so he drove the man out. Again, we're talking distance here. And at the east of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So the first inkling we have of what death really is, the geography of death, is that death is out from something. It's distance from something. The the Hebrew word um, that is is used here to die is is muth, and it means uh, intimately to be involved in separation because of sin. Separation is the key word here, not extinction. Now, Immediately, almost immediately, in one generation, he passes the same kind of transgression to his son. Cain, you will read in chapter 4, lures Abel into a field. He kills him. The Lord questions Cain about it. And then the Lord pronounces his judgment in verse 11. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate it, cultivate the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. Now look, here it is again. Here's the form of death. You shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. The curse of death is in the form of distance. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, thou hast driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from thy face I shall be hidden, and, I shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. In other words, I'm going to be separated from the earth. I'm going to be separated from you. I'm going to be separated from everybody else on the earth. That is my punishment. That is how I walk out my death. And you will note, I won't go through all the scriptures, but you will note the theme of, as Hebrews 13 says, being strangers and sojourners and aliens on this earth, all through the Old Testament. You will note that um, in Genesis 11, the punishment for the pride of man in the Tower of Babel was to be what? To be scattered. Distance was the form of death. The punishment um, for um, um, going on the journey of God and not having the experience of Eden was to be strangers and sojourners in a land called Egypt where the children of Israel were made slaves. And the, the freedom from that slavery did not lead them into the promised land immediately. It led them rather into the wilderness. Our experience in this world, and this ought to depress you, <laughs> is knowing that we're not living in Eden anymore and admitting that to ourselves. I saw a bumper sticker uh, some months ago uh, a quote from Dorphy, uh from the movie The Wizard of Oz and it simply said, Toto, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. And that's the sense that we get as we take a look at our culture and how far we have come even from the inadequate places of paradise that we thought we had before as a nation. There was a wonderful column this uh, week in the USA Today by a woman by the name of Barbara uh, I think her name's Barbara Robinson. And she was simply reviewing uh, the Supreme Court's legacy of this year. It is now adjourned for the year. And she was in deep questioning what that court had left us. She said, How is it that hate is more acceptable than prayer? You know, the Supreme Court simply uh, uh, ushered in hate crimes and hate speech under the the uh, First Amendment of free speech uh, which I only have partial problems with but took prayer out from that First Amendment. She said, how is it that prayer is out? How is it that a fifth grade teacher in Denver, Colorado, finds it unconstitutional to have a Bible on top of his desk? How is it that that fifth grade teacher in a 210 book library in his room cannot keep the Bible according to our Constitution, according to the Supreme Court's interpretation of our uh, Constitution, but can have uh, all kinds of books there about the Greek gods. How is it that prayer is out, but yet hate is in, and violence is in? 135,000 kids a day carry guns to school how is it that our streets run red with violence drive by shootings she writes how is it that um, AIDS is in condoms are in um, crime is in the SNL scandal billions and billions of dollars we have to repay but yet prayer is out toto I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. We are certainly not in Eden. Now, we can argue about how good the good old days ever were. I have a book in my office that's entitled The Good Old Days, They Were Terrible. And, uh, and I suspect that's right. Um, matter of fact, I've read it and it is right. Uh, the good old days have been terrible ever since Eden. But, but the, the, the sum of the matter is we're getting more and more distant. And do you know the, the ministries that really are popular these days? They are the ministries that tell us that the land of milk and honey is just around the corner. That, that something is soon going to be perfect in our lives. Um, now, there are places that God promises us to live. And there is a certain amount of prosperity that He gives to us in our lives in which to operate. And by the way, that prosperity differs. You can argue with God about that, but it differs. God, when He led up the children of Israel out of Egypt in the third chapter of Exodus, says, I will lead them to a land flowing with milk and honey. It says in verse 8, says it again in verse 17, so that there is no mistake. And after they wander around <laughs> All of those years in the wilderness, they come up to that land and they send out a team. And indeed, they find a the land of milk and honey, just like God said. But uh, there's a problem. Turn to Numbers chapter 13 with me. You'll see the problem. Even in the land flowing with milk and honey, there's a problem. The spy team comes back to report. And this is what they say. We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. I mean, they brought back a huge cluster of grapes, gigantous fruit. This is its fruit. Nevertheless. Oh, I hate that word. Nevertheless. However. But. What did he say? But. That's what I thought he said. Waiter, thank you for the soup. Uh, there's a fly in my soup. But, look at what it says. The people who live in the land. There's people in the land? Thought there was just milk and honey in the land. No, people. The people who live in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. What was the understanding of the children of Israel? that they would come to that land of milk and honey and everything would be finally all right. Only to discover that in this world, the land of milk and honey always has problems of its own. The ministries that are popular today are the ministries that emphasize just the milk and honey part. And I'm not saying that the bit that they have chosen to emphasize is false. False. I like Robert Schuller. He cheers me up. He never tells me the devastation of sin, but he does cheer me up. But the immense popularity of Robert Schuller shows you how hungry we are to hear again about that land of milk and honey. Robert, tell me how to turn my scars into stars. We are so hungry to hear that the land of milk and honey is just around the corner and everything's going to be all right. Robert Tilton, holy cow. Send in your thousand dollars. Have faith. And everything will come to you. Boy, he reads the letters. You ever hear him read the letters? Why, well, you're the woman in Texas. Send in her thousand dollars and, and the next day, you know, she got a free house and four Maseratis and everything's okay. See? Just once. I'd like to hear him read the letters. I know he gets. Robert sent you my thousand. I had faith. I did everything you said. Things got worse. Just once. So that I could have the whole picture. There are not only faith ministries, but there are legalist ministries that says, I'll help fire and brimstone. If you can get your... It's a matter of self-discipline. You pull yourself up by the bootstraps. And if you behave right, your world will go right, they say. Oh, boy. If I could only do that. The whole picture, being mature in Christ, is knowing... That it's not just positive thinking. It's not just faith. It's not just right behavior. It's not just knowing theological truth. We live in a world that isn't Eden. It's not paradise now, and it's not going to be paradise in the future. We live in a fragmentary sense, and the best of what we have is marred and broken. I, this week, <laughs> I went on a honeymoon trip with my wife. Of 20 years, we celebrate our 20th anniversary this week, and I was really scratching months back. What am I going to do for this? I mean, this is supposed to be a big one. I'm supposed to come up with nothing. Not only am I singularly uncreative when it comes to romance, I couldn't see how we could do. Any. Well, the grace of God and the generosity of a couple of friends got us to Niagara Falls this week. Now, what? We'd never done anything so exotic in our whole life. Niagara Falls? Are you kidding? You know, here's a couple of kids from Indiana. Niagara Falls, well, that's a lot of water in the pack. Well, we got there, see? Now, what could be better? You know, going with a woman you're crazy nuts about to this most of all romantic places in the entire universe. Then the first day we get there, we run down, we look at the falls, that's really pretty. We look at these other falls, that's really pretty down there. We look down and there's these boats going down there. Oh, that, we think that's pretty neat, see? They're called, it's the Maid of the Mist. Isn't that a pretty name? Maid of the Mist ferry line. And there's about five ferries that, that carry people down and just kind of linger in the mist for a minute. And you, you can look up at the grandeur of the falls and say, Oh, isn't this wonderful? Well, what could be more romantic than that? I sat back, let's do that. So we went down. We got on this boat. See, we get, you, get, you get a raincoat, you know, because it's a little misty, you know. and So we got the raincoats and we got on the boat. And here we go down. Now the first leg of the trip's wonderful. The birds are flying and the water's nice and the mist is coming. In. See, it's wonderful. But as we got closer to the falls, the mist got harder. And we discovered that the captain of our particular ship was Evil Knievel. He wanted to climb those suckers. I mean, they're one they missed about this. He got he drove into this and the water's pouring down on it. And we're trying to look into the fall and we can't we can't see anything. All of us are turning around, the water's coming and that's when I discovered I'd picked the raincoat from hell. It was there was water pouring down my back. I'm thinking my pants are gonna weigh ten pounds by the time I get I mean it was a horrible experience. Look at like Well I, t- I, t- I tell you that story for a couple of reasons. First of all, I want you to know you don't have to go to Niagara Falls for that experience. You can have that very experience in your own house. Let me tell you how. Go to your bathroom, take $15 out of your wallet, flush it down the toilet. Turn your shower on, full blast cold, and get in and stare into the faucet head. It's the same ride. You can do it at home. (laughs) There was another reason. I was. Yeah. So the other reason. The other reason. Is to let you know that even in the most perfect of times. Not everything's perfect. As a matter of fact, things are only fragmentarily perfect. In the best of our lives, we don't live in Eden anymore. Now, there's a sense of freedom to that. To know that we don't have to be perfectionistic about our existence or about ourselves. To know that the only hope we have is the grace of God. The only hope we have. But there's also a danger here I want to tell you about just for a couple of minutes. From being refugees, from being not in paradise, we have a character within ourselves of taking on the mentality of a refugee. You see, we have a status of a refugee down here on earth. We're strangers and aliens while we're here. Now, Ephesians 2 says, we're no longer strangers and aliens, we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. But while we're here, this isn't our home. Never will be. So what we do is we adapt very well. And we take our status as refugees and we develop the mentality of refugees. That's where we go wrong. Because the mentality of refugee says this, you can't, you can't kick me out, I'm out of here on my own. You can't fire me, I quit. The mentality of a refugee says, I'm going to leave before I get disappointed. The mentality of a refugee takes themselves out of home. It is the mentality of the prodigal son that says, "Father, I know I've got everything here I need, but give me some goodies. I'm going out on my own." And he travels into a distant land. It is the mentality we have of wanting to be lord over a little in our exile. Last Monday, I was leaving here, and I, I was driving, got my car, and there were there were kids playing out in the yard out there, and there were still course, people hanging around talking is pretty neat, and, you know, but I was getting home because I told my boys I wanted to watch the, uh, uh, I can't remember the television show, uh, some television show, anyhow, I wanted to watch it with them, we were going to talk about it and so on and so forth. So anyhow, um, drove out, and here are these kids playing in the yard, and I just catch out of the corner of my eye the Lillis Travers boy, I don't know, what, what's the Lillis Travers boy name, anybody know that? Anyhow, he's a little pumpkin kid, just a little, can't be three years old. And while all the kids are playing in the yard, here's this kid. He's found himself a mud puddle in a parking lot. And he's standing right in the middle of this mud puddle, looking triumphant, like sucker. Everybody's in there. There's people in church, but I got my own mud puddle. And I thought, how perfect for the character of man to leave the sanctity and to find a mud puddle that we can be lured over. How perfect. Not only that, but to develop the mentality that before you hurt me, I'm out of here. Before I get kicked out, I'm leaving. We have this detachable nature that is so cautious we can't trust in anything anymore. We're not confident enough to trust after we've been hurt. We're not confident enough to develop a home style mentality where we have a loyalty and a commitment anymore. Those of you who went through the 60s probably got inoculated by a certain song that I just heard the other day on the radio. I couldn't believe I heard it again. Uh, I can't even remember the, the title of it, but it was um, You're Not a Queen, You're Not an Angel, You're a Woman, I'm Not a King, I'm a Man, Take My Hand. Um, so and so. Remember the chorus of that? Don't ask why of me. Don't ask how. Don't ask forever. Just love me. Love me now. And then it goes on, and the ending, the clincher of it is, and here I'll stay, what? Until it's time for me to go. That is the commitment longevity of the mentality of a refugee. Here I'll stay until I sense something's going wrong, and then that makes for horribly lonely wanderers in this world. Let me give you what I think is the full and somewhat depressing, but somewhat hopeful truth. The best of life is fragmentary. The best of faith is fragmentary. We are people who are filled with failure. We have holes in our faith, and we have holes in our understanding, and we have holes in our behavior. And we are people who still are sinful. However, the hope was never in the right situation. The hope was never, since Eden, in the, in the, the amount of faith that we had, or the kind of behavior that we tried to conjure up consistently or what we knew the hope has always been in the grace of God that would see us through this fragmentary existence. Sometimes when we're walking with Jesus, even those of you who walk with Jesus daily, you have this sense, I wonder if there's something else, because even my walk doesn't seem to be where it ought to be. Even my walk leaves me unfulfilled. There are some who honestly say, you know, there's probably something else in the faith I haven't got yet because this doesn't quite seem to do it. Could I just comfort you and say, you're not living in the land of God. You're still a refugee. But that does not mean that God has left you or that God is not close to you. Let me tell you a story, and and let me close with this, because it's a great analogy to never being in the right place, but have always been with the right person. There was a, a, a novel that James Hilton wrote. Now James Hilton wrote a lot of neat stories and a lot of well-read stories. Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Uh, the Lost Horizon. You talk about a mentality of escapism. Uh, there's there's a, 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 a mentality of, of someday we'll find our Shangri-La. But there's a a lesser-known novel that he wrote that's a wonderful piece of writing. It's called Random Harvest. And in this novel, he writes about a a World War I soldier who goes into battle and comes out with shell shock. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with that term, that is a term that uh, uh, applies to a dynamic of going into a battle and... And undergoing such mental torment and such panic and such trauma that you uh, can't operate, you can't function. In this particular case, he has blocked it out. He has repressed it. He has almost total amnesia. Can't remember his name, can't remember anything about his past. They send him home to a place he doesn't recognize. They send him to a city that had his address on it before. He comes into contact with his wife, who has gotten the word that he has amnesia. They moved to this city some time ago. They had had a wonderful marriage. But she, out of consideration for him, does not want to force, himself, or force herself on him So she does not reveal that she is his wife. She just is in his proximity. Well, he falls in love with her again. And he marries her again. And she never reveals to him her identity. And they build a wonderful life together, but always in his memory, there was this other woman. There was this this love that was so completely devotional and so completely mature and so completely pure. And from time to time he'll remember little snippets but then before he can put them together they disappear. And so for years they live together and for years he gets out of bed and she's never there. He never knows where she is but she's never there. One wonderful morning he gets up and For some reason, he has an inkling to follow a half-forgotten road back to a half-forgotten town, to a half-forgotten house. Not knowing what he will find there, he goes in to that house and there is his wife waiting for him as she has all those years. And he discovers that it is her who he has always loved completely, even though for a while he thought he was searching for someone else. Living in this world is very much like that. We have Christ. And we feel like there's probably something else we need to make our life complete. But let me tell you something. When we get home and we walk into one of those many mansions that God has built for us, and we see Christ, we're going to be able to look into His face and say, You are the one who I've always needed. And You're the one who I've been walking with all along. Glory. Hallelujah. Would you pray with me? God, before we come to this table, Let me pray two things. First of all, for anyone in this place who is living a fragmentary life, who is living without you and they feel desperate to find an eternal companion, they feel desperate to find some semblance of what they were meant for, let them today come to Jesus Christ. No one comes to you but by Him. It says in your Word, and so today, if they are sick of being lost and feeling like outsiders and feeling like a stranger and a sojourner in this land, let them know today they can lose at least part of that and gain a home. They aren't going to live in that home for a while, but they can gain a home today. And let them say to you, Jesus, come into my life. I don't expect you to make me perfect. But I do want you to love me. And I want to love you. And I want to walk through this life's events as imperfect as they are. And as imperfect as I am. With you. And depend on your grace. And for the rest of us, Lord. Who keep thinking... (laughs) The next situation will be the land of milk and honey without any complications. Let us become mature and let us know there are always complications but there is also always Your grace for those of us who have come to know Your Son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, let us be glad for Your companionship and let that be enough while we are refugees in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.